Now tonight we're going to begin the first of those divisions, um, the things that John had seen. Now that division of scripture comes in Revelation chapter number 1 in these first 20 verses. Now in these first 20 verses there are also a division. In the first eight, we see the salutation of John, uh, his introduction to this book. And then in verses 9 through 20, we're going to see the voice of Jesus when Jesus speaks. And we're going to talk about the vision that Jesus brings. But tonight, we are primarily going to be looking at Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. If we get any further, then that's good. If not, we'll come back next week and do it all over again. But we're going to be looking primarily in Revelation chapter 1 and these first eight verses. Let's read together, starting there with the first verse. John, Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who by record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ, and of all things that he saw. Everybody say, he saw. he saw. Now watch the next part of this. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. Verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Man, what a great verse. Isn't that powerful? And unto Jesus, watch this now, who's loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We'll get into that in a minute. Look at verse 6. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and forever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. All the kindreds of the earth shall uh, wail because of him. Even so, amen. I love how John puts that. Even so. Amen. How many of you know there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord? So my advice to you is bow now because you're going to bow later. Amen. <laughs> I choose to bow now. I'm thankful I get to bow now. Verse number eight. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Let us pray. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the truth of your word. Lord, I'm thankful for the privilege of being able to stand before these people with an open Bible. I know that your word is truth. I know that, Lord, I place my faith in what you say and it's changed my life. Lord, I'm so thankful that tonight we get to glean from what you have spoken directly unto us. We know your word is your absolute truth. And Father, tonight we take it just as that. Lord, and I'm praying that you speak to me, you speak through me. Lord, I can do absolutely nothing without you. Holy Spirit, would you have your way and your will? Would you have rule and reign in this place? You do exactly what you want to do in me and through me tonight. Lord, I pray that you speak to hearts and change lives. And Father, that we leave here different than when we came. Lord, I pray that you edify, that you encourage. Lord, I pray that you convict where conviction's needed. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, 
The first thing that I want you to notice tonight in these eight verses that we're going to be looking at, uh, the first thing I want you to notice about the book of Revelation is its title. Its title says a mouthful in itself. Now, I don't know what it says in your Bible, and I hope it says this in your Bible, but it says in mine, the Revelation of St. John. What does that mean? When you think of revelation, what do you think about? Revelation uh, is, a gr- is a word that is der- derived from a Greek word, apocalypsis. Now, apocalypsis means, um, it means to dis- a disclosure of facts to man by a divine agent. Or the loose interpretation of that is an unveiling. Now, I like that. Now, when I'm talking about unveiling, I'm talking about uncovering the truth that God has for us. It's a disclosure of facts from God to man. So what we're going to be studying in the book of Revelation is what God gave to John for us. Can you say amen? Now that is powerful, man. I can't wait to get a hold of what God gave to John for you and for me. Now listen to what uh, Dr. Warren Wiersbe says concerning the book of Revelation. I love how he puts it. He says, in this book, the Holy Spirit pulls back the curtain and gives us the privilege of seeing the glorified Christ. I love that. That's exactly what we're going to see. We're going to see through the writing of John by the, uh, the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the glorified Christ seated in the heavens. But not only that, we're also going to see the fulfillment of his sovereign purposes in this world. In this blessed book that we're going to be studying, we're going to see future events concerning the church, concerning the lost, concerning the nation of Israel, and concerning the world itself. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I am excited to see what God has planned for His church. Listen, I'll tell you I'm excited for it because I'm a part of His church. And I'm going to tell you something. I can't wait till we get into this because you're going to be excited as well because it's all good. I'm telling you. We have a blessed hope in Jesus. Can you say amen? Folks, we have hope for today, we have hope for tomorrow, we have hope for eternity, and all of that is outlined for us right here on the pages of Scripture in the book of Revelation. So I can't wait to get in to what God has for us. According to Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 1, Revelation is a very prophetic book. Look what it says. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. So evidently, this is prophecy concerning future events according to Revelations 1.1. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Now then, one word that I dealt with this week that really, really bothered me was that word shortly. Let me tell you why. We know that the book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John at around... Um, A.D. 95, 95 A.D. Now that's about 60 years after the death of Christ. Now folks, that's almost 2,000 years since John wrote this book. Yet in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, it says these things must shortly come to pass. I struggled with that. I wrestled with that until I found this out. That word shortly right there in Revelation chapter 1 verse 1 is, the, is translated from the Greek word tacos. The Greek word tacos is the same word we get the English word tachometer from. <laughs> now guys, you know what a tachometer is, don't you? What's a tachometer do? 
Absolutely. It, it measures the revolutions per minute of a combustible engine. So if you're sitting in your car and you've got a tachometer in your car, you've got that gauge, and you give it just a little bit of gas, what's going to happen to that tach gauge as the revolutions per minute increases as you give it gas? It's going to go up very quickly, isn't it? Right. And the more gas you give it, the further it's going to go up. The, the word tachos means to happen suddenly or quickly. But now the idea here is not that these things are going to happen immediately after John wrote them. The idea is this, that, it, that once they start happening, they're going to happen in succession at a very rapid pace. Just like that foot on the gas pedal and that tachometer jumping up, those revolutions per minute. Amen? So what I'm trying to share with you is this. Once these things start taking place, we're going to see that the majority of what's prophesied in the book of Revelation happens over a seven-year period. Seven years of tribulation upon this earth. We know there's going to be a time of tribulation. Then we know that Christ is going to come back and set up his uh, millennial reign here upon this earth. Then we know there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But the majority of what's prophesied in, these, in this book is going to happen in a seven-year span. You may say, well, Brother Israel, seven years is a pretty good long time. Well, you've got to think of it in light of 6,000 years of recorded history. All of it's coming to an end in about seven years. So, when it says, it shall shortly come to pass, means that once it starts happening, it's going to happen very, very quickly. The book of Revelation is a prophetic book, but according to Revelation 1-2, it's also a very symbolic book. Look what it says. Revelation chapter 1, verse number 2. Who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Now, the two biggest words in all of Revelation chapter 1 and verse 2 is the last two of them. He saw. John saw what was going to happen at the end of the world. John saw through the vision Jesus gave him these events that we're going to be speaking of. Now how many of you have ever heard it said like this that a picture is worth a thousand words? You ever heard that? And let me tell you what John does. He uses thousands of words to paint a fabulous picture. And he uses these words, listen, uh, in ways that explain to us uh, through symbols exactly what's going to happen. Some very, very deep, powerful truth. So a lot of the things that we're going to see in the book of Revelation, any of you who have ever read it or studied it, you know that a lot of it is symbolism. You're going to hear things like uh, a beast that's going to rule the world. Now, is it actually a beast? No, it's a dictator that's going to rule the world that we know. You hear uh, the, the world talk about it that day as the great Babylon. Now, is, is it actually going to be the Babylonian Empire? No, what it's talking about is the world system. But he uses these symbols to explain to us uh, what we need to know. Now, let me share something with you. Just because we're using symbols, or John uses symbols, in the book of Revelation to explain these future events, that don't mean we just let our imagination run wild. Because I think that's what happens a lot of times in the book of Revelation. People will start imagining, oh, I hear some of this stuff being preached and taught today that uh, I don't think makes a lick of sense according to Scripture. Just because it's symbolic don't mean you can put in there whatever you want to put in there, amen? These symbols that, and we're going to see this, these symbols that are being used are all backed up by Scripture. Some of them in the New Testament, 
a majority of them in the Old Testament. But all of it um, is going to be backed up by what God's Word says. So not only is it prophetic, but it's also very symbolic. We're going to see that. It's symbolic in many ways. Numbers have a lot to do with the book of Revelation. I'm talking about numbers itself. The number seven, we'll see in just a moment, has a lot to do with Revelation. Uh, the number six has a lot to do with Revelation. The number 12 has a lot to do with Revelation. Number three has a lot to do with, uh, with, with Revelation. We're going to see all of these things in symbolic form through the writing of John. So not only is it a uh, very prophetic book, it's also a, a symbolic book. But look at verse number three. I want you to notice something else. It's a very practical book. It's a book that is useful for each and every one of us. And verse number three says it's useful for four ways. Look what it says. First of all, it's practical. It's useful to those who read it. To those who read it. Now, how do you understand? How, can, how are you ever, ever, ever going to know the God of the Bible until you know the Bible of God? You're not. It's useful for you when you actually take God's word and read it for yourself. Now I want to encourage you to do that. Read God's word for yourself prayerfully. And allow God the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what you need revealed. And I'll promise you this. If you'll get serious with God in your time of study. He'll get serious with you. And this Bible will burst a flame in your hand. How many of you believe that? Absolutely. But you've got to read it. Now, let me tell you what's so special about the book of Revelation though. What's so useful, what's so practical, what's so practical for us? Listen to what David Jeremiah says about the book of Revelation and reading it. He said it is the only book in all of the Bible that has its own special blessing promised for reading and obeying it. Isn't that good? The only book of the Bible where God says, hey, if you'll read this book, if you'll obey this book, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a special blessing. And you say, well, Brother Israel, does that mean that all the other, all, the, the rest of the Word of God is not practical? The rest of the Word of God don't bring blessing? No, absolutely not. If you remember, I told you Sunday, if you want God's blessing, how you got to do it? God's way, according to His truth. Listen, you do it by practical obedience of the Word of God. But when it comes to revelation, God says, I tell you what, I'm going to give you a special blessing if you'll read this book. And obey this book. So I don't know about you. I'm going to read it and obey it. Amen. Because God says he'll bless me if I do. I don't think we ought to miss out on that. Folks, I don't want to miss out on no blessing God has for me. How about you? So let's just do what he says. It's very practical in reading. But it's also very practical for hearing. That's what he says in the next part of this. He says, not only blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. Now why is it so important that we preach and we teach the book of Revelation? We talked about this a little bit last week. Well, God's promised His blessing to all who hear it. I want God's blessing for you. I want God's blessing for our church. So it's very practical for hearing. Uh, and you hear through the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Not only is it practical for reading, for hearing, but let me share something else. Doing. How do you know Reading God's Word and hearing God's Word or to motivate you to do God's Word. And if you just hear God's Word and read God's Word and you don't apply and do God's Word, then you're never going to get all that you need or all that God wants you to have. Amen. I'm telling you, folks, 
It's not just hearing it. It's good that you hear it. I know I'm preaching to the choir here on Wednesday night. I'm thankful you're here on a Wednesday night, man. I, I'm so uh, glad to be here with you. I'm glad to see each and every one of you. There's many other places that you could be on a Wednesday night besides here. And there's many other places a lot of people are at tonight besides here. Bless God. It should be here. But I'll tell you this, I'm thankful you're here. But I want you to know this. We can sit in here on a Wednesday night and talk about God's word and hear God's word, but if we don't apply what we've heard, has it done us any good? I love preaching it. Love teaching it. Love talking about it. Y'all know that. But I'll tell you this. Folks, we've got to do it. And John said, blessed is he that reads it, that hears it. But then he says, and keep those things which are written therein. Very practical book for hearing. For reading, for doing, but let me share you with you a fourth one. I like this one for expecting. Look at this last part of the verse. He says, for the time is at hand. When you read the book of Revelation, when you hear the book of Revelation, when you apply the book of Revelation, I'll tell you what it's going to do. It's going to bring great expectation for what God has planned for his people. Folks, I've read the back of the book. I know who wins. And I want to tell you this. I say, even so come, Lord Jesus. We have something to look forward to. Oh, man, it's going to be good. The time is at hand means that, listen to me now, there is nothing that has to be done for Jesus to come whenever he wants to come. You hear me? We believe in the imminent return of Christ. When God the Father speaks to His Son and says, go get those that are mine, I'm telling you, at that time Jesus comes. Now that could be in the next five seconds. That could be in the next five years. That could be in the next 500 years. But the time is at hand means we know when God gets ready, that time is now. So let me ask you this. What if Jesus came in the next five seconds? Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Where would you be? Are you ready? Do you know you've trusted in Christ? I hope so. But if not, listen to me. The time is at hand. Don't wait. What are you waiting on? I, I love to read in the book of Exodus how God delivered his people there because it speaks so much to how God delivers his people now. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. They were delivered by faith through the blood and we are too. But I remember what one thing that God, or excuse me, Moses, or God through Moses spoke to, um, to Pharaoh. He said, Moses said, the Lord said, let his people go. And Pharaoh said, no, nah, I ain't letting the people go. I'm going to keep the people. And what did God start doing? He sent a, a series of plagues, nine of them to be exact. And I remember after one, the plague of frogs, that, that Moses or said to Pharaoh, let my people, God said, let my people go. And you know what Pharaoh said? He said, tomorrow, 
I'll let you people go. Now I want you to think about something. The plague of frogs had already hit. It had already come to pass. I mean, there were frogs everywhere. There were frogs in, in, in the bed, frogs in the soup bowl, frogs in the, in the linen cabinet. Everywhere they looked, there was frogs all over the land. I mean, they couldn't step without stepping on a frog. But, Mo, but Pharaoh says, I tell you what, come back tomorrow and I'll let the people go. And one thing I've always wondered in reading that, why in the world would you want to spend another night with the frogs? But you know, that's the same thing people do today. They know God's called them. They know God's convicted them. They know God wants them to be a part of his family, but still they keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And Lord, I'll do it tomorrow and I'll do it next week and I'll do it next month and I'll do it next year and I'll do it when I can and I'll do it when I can live it. You ever heard that? Folks, why do you want to spend another night with the frogs? Why do you want to spend another night absent from the peace of God? Why do you want to spend another night, uh, listen, in the free pardon of sin? Why? When you can have God's deliverance, His forgiveness, His peace, His joy, His power. The time is at hand. Be ready now. Amen. Amen. It's a practical book. That's in the title. We see that uh, in these first three verses. But now I also want you to notice something else. The testimony. Look at verse 4. John to the seven churches were in Asia. So according to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 4, whose testimony is this? What's the testimony of John? Amen. John the apostle. Now you remember John, don't you? I mean, this is the same John who left his nets and followed Jesus. Can you say amen? <laughs> this is the same John who walked and saw all that Jesus did. He heard every message that Jesus preached those three and a half years of his earthly, earthly ministry. It's the same John. It's the same John who leaned on the Lord at the Last Supper. Can you say amen? Listen, it's the same John who stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus died on the cross. It's the same John who saw the empty tomb. It's the same John who gave his life to preach the gospel. It's the same John. John was used by the Holy Spirit in a fantastic way. He wrote a majority, uh, not a majority, but a, a, a lot of the New Testament. He wrote several books in the New Testament. We know he wrote the Gospel of John. We've already studied that one, if you remember. We spent a lot of time in the Gospel of John. He wrote First and Second, Third John, the epistles. And then he wrote uh, the book that we're studying now, the book of Revelation. So he wrote a great deal of the New Testament. God used him in a fantastic way. The Holy Spirit gave him truth that is now relevant and real to us. Can you say amen? So that's, that's the, whose testimony it is. Now, listen to what Warren Wiersbe says about the writings of John. The gospel of John had one central theme, to believe. Amen? You don't believe me, you go back and read in John chapter 20 and verse number 31. John wrote this. He said, I have written these things down so that you might know Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. The central theme of the gospel of John is to believe. 
We all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that uh, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So the central theme of the gospel of John is to believe. All right, what about the epistles? 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. It's to be sure. If you remember in 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 13, John said, I've written these things down so that you may know. Do you remember me preaching to you the litmus, God's litmus test uh, here three or four months ago on all the ways that we can know that we've been born again into the family of God? Well, John wrote that so that we might be sure. And then you have Revelation. And the central theme of Revelation is be ready. You don't believe me? Look in Revelation 22 and verse number 20. You're going to find that Jesus said, Behold, be looking, for I come quickly. It's John's testimony. The Lord used him in a fantastic way. Now who did John write to? Well, it, shows, it shows, uh, shares with us here uh, very plainly. And uh, look down in verse number 4. And John to the seven churches which are in Asia. I want you to notice something. The Apostle Paul wrote seven separate letters to seven churches. John wrote one letter and addressed it to seven churches. So the people that will be reading this are the seven churches of Asia. Now how many of you understand, listen to me now, God has always wanted to speak to his people. Now folks, listen. He wanted to speak to his church then. And he wants to speak to his church now through the same word. Amen. It's just as real and just as relevant for us right here today as it was when John wrote it those 2,000 years ago. God is still speaking to us if we're ready to listen. I heard one man say it like this, that uh, you should never prophesy because if you prophesy and you're wrong, nobody's going to listen to you. And if you prophesy and you're right, nobody's going to remember. Well, listen. John prophesied over 2,000 years ago, and I'm telling you, the book of Revelation is still standing just as strong as it's ever been. Amen. He wrote it to the church. God wants to speak to His church. He's trying to speak to His church. We have His words, we just got to get in it. Can you say amen? So that's the testimony. It's John's testimony. What a great man of God. So thankful for him. So thankful for his writings, aren't you? But now I want you to see something else. And I love this. Look down at verse number four. And we're going to see the Trinity. Look what it says. John to the seven churches were in Asia. I love how he puts this. Grace be unto you and peace. Now. John and Paul have something in common. For if you go back and read the writings of Paul, in all of his letters, he says grace and peace. Always. You never see peace and grace. It's always grace and peace. Let me tell you what these brothers knew that we got to get a hold of. You'll never, ever, ever have peace until you have grace. 
But when you experience grace, God's amazing grace, God's saving grace, listen, God's grace that enables you to be what He's called you to be and saved you to be, then you can have peace. Not until then. So John, just like Paul, says grace and peace be unto you. Then he says this, watch. From him which is and which was and which is to come. Now let me tell you what I see right there. First of all, it's God the Father. That's who was. That's who is. And that who is, 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 he is to come. Now you say, brother, how do you get that? Well, all John is doing is, is describing God in the same way God described himself to Moses. Do you remember that? Exodus chapter 3, if you go back over there and look at it, you're going to find that Moses was standing before the burning bush and God had called him to go to Egypt and lead his children out of bondage. And, and what did Moses say? What am I going to say when I get to Pharaoh who sent me? And if you remember, God said, you tell him the great I am sent you. The ever-existent one. The eternal one who never changes. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. Listen, in eternity past, he's always been God. In eternity present, he is God. In eternity future, he'll always be God. He is the great I am. It's God the Father. But who else is there? He says something else. He says in the last part of verse number 4, he says, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, who are the seven spirits? Well, listen, when he's speaking of the seven spirits here, he's talking about the manifestation, the seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Now, where do I get that? Take your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter number 11. How many of you understand we have one Holy Spirit who manifests himself in seven different ways. There are seven different characteristics that the Holy Spirit brings. It's the fullness of the Spirit. It's the fullness that we see in the life of Jesus. Can you say amen to that? It's the fullness that I believe we as the children of God can receive if we walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. Being filled by the blessed, precious Holy Spirit of God. Isaiah chapter number 11. Look with me. Verse number 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. I love this. Who's the rod out of the stem of Jesse? Absolutely. This is a prophecy concerning the Lord Jesus. Jesus came of the house and lineage of David. Who's the father of David? Jesse. And so he's speaking of Christ here. And then he talks about the seven manifestations of the Spirit. First of all, he says the Spirit of the Lord. That's one. Second, he says uh, the Spirit of wisdom. That's two. Thirdly, he says the Spirit of understanding. That's three. Fourthly, he says, the spirit of counsel. And then he says, the spirit of might, that's five. The spirit of knowledge, that's six. 
and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. That's seven. And so these seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit is what's being spoken of in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. So we have God the Father there in Revelation. We have God the Spirit there in Revelation. Oh, but let me show you somebody else. Look back in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 5. And from Jesus. Amen. We have God the, God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son all mentioned here in Revelation chapter 1. Why is this so significant? I'm telling you, it begins with God and ends with God. In Genesis chapter 1, we see God the Father. And the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And we also see God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the deep, upon the waters. Then we see God the Son. John chapter 1 and verse 1. The Word became flesh. He dwelt among us and there wasn't anything made that was made unless it was made by him so in Genesis we have God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit and then all the way at the end at Revelation we have God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit I'm telling you it's all about him it's all for him praise God I'm thankful we see God doing Right here in this blessed book, what God can do, what he can only do, according to his sovereign plan and purpose. That's the Trinity. But also right here, I want to see what I like to call the triumphant. How many of you know Jesus is the one who overcame death, hell, and the grave? Watch. And from Jesus, who is a faithful witness. He's a faithful witness to the love of God, to the plan of God, to the sovereignty of God, to the power of God, to the purpose God has for us, for this world, for everything. Watch this now. And the first begotten of the dead. How do you know Jesus went to the tomb, but he didn't stay there? And the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Jesus is the triumphant. The one who has overcome. I want to share something with you folks. Listen to me. This book of Revelation, it is a prophecy. But we cannot separate the prophecy from the person. This prophecy is the revealing of ultimately who the glorified Christ is and what He's going to do with His people, with this earth, and with heaven itself. It's all about Jesus. Not only, though, is Jesus the triumphant. I want you to know, if you've trusted in Jesus, you are triumphant as well. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You see, if he has overcome, we too shall overcome. Let me show you how. I love how Dr. Jeremiah puts this. He said, we shall overcome. How? Because he loved us. Isn't that what it says in Revelations 1, chapter number 5? Unto him that loved us. How many of you know Jesus loves you? 
He loved you so much He went to a cross and took the punishment for your sin. Listen, he took the cat of nine tails. He took the beating. Listen, he took the ridicule. He took the shame. Why? Because he loved you. Amen. He still loves you. Not only did he love us, watch what else he says. He loosed us. Look at this. And washed us from our sins in his own blood. What kept us in bondage? Jesus said, whoever, is a, uh, whoever sins becomes a what? Slave to sin. A slave is in bondage to their master. Folks, because of my sin, I was enslaved to it. It had become my master. It had become the driving force in my life. I had no control over it. Jesus loosed me from that. When I placed my faith in Christ, He washed me with His own blood. And now I have freedom from my old life, from my old ways, from my old addictions. Praise God. I'm no longer in bondage to the sin I was born in and I lived in. And if you trusted in Christ, you're not either. How can anyone that is dead to sin live any longer therein? Paul said, should we sin that grace may abound? He said, God forbid. Folks, I want you to know you've been raised with Christ. He loved you. He loosed you. Let me give you the third when he lifted you. Watch what he says. Man, this excited me when I saw it. Verse 6, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father to be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. How many of you know you have went from being a pauper to being a prince? Kings even. Amen. We've went from the guttermost to the uttermost. Listen. We have went from having nothing. And I'm telling you something. I don't care what you have in this world. If you don't have Jesus, you've got nothing. Ultimately. You can have everything this world has to offer and have nothing. But you can have nothing this world has to offer and have Jesus and have everything. Amen. Jesus said it like this. What's it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Nothing. Profits him nothing. So I want you to know, we went from having nothing to having it all. Romans 8, 17 says that we are now heirs to God, joint heirs with Jesus. We have been made partakers of all Christ is and all Christ has. Why? Well, first of all, because he loved you. Because he loosed you. Because he lifted you. Praise God. He's good, isn't he? That's the trumpet. Let's look at verse 7. Behold, he comes with the clouds and every eye shall see him. What is the purpose of the book of Revelation? Well, listen. It's to let us know. Every eye. Not some eyes, but every eye. Not 
just poor eyes, but every eye. Not just powerful eyes, but every eye. Every eye shall see him. Watch what else. He says, even those who pierced him. And I know that got your mind rolling, and we'll deal with that later, I promise. Even those who pierced him is going to see him. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. The purpose is to let us know Jesus is coming back to set right on this world what sin is set wrong. He's going to rule. He's going to reign. You can rule. You can reign with him. But only if you know him. Only if you know him. Verse number eight. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Isn't that good stuff? Everything starts. Everything ends with Jesus. The book of Colossians tells us that he holds the preeminence. That everything was made by him, for him. That he is what the Bible calls the potentate. The one who has supreme authority. Alpha and Omega. Which is and which was and which is to come. The Almighty. I don't know about you, but that's my Jesus. I'm telling you, we do not serve a weak, needy Jesus. We serve the exalted King of kings and Lord of lords. He deserves and is worthy of our praise, honor, and glory. So, tonight, my prayer is this. That God so does a work in my heart and in your heart that we start realizing, we start seeing, it's revealed to us the Jesus of the Bible. Amen? And we start seeing him for who he is. Not only will it change our worship in here, it'll change our lives out there. The old hymn writer put it like this. The things of this world grow strangely dim as I fix my eyes on Jesus. We sang a little bit about it tonight. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he holds the future, all fear is gone. Oh, church, listen. It's all because of Jesus. Isn't he good? Praise him. Hey, listen to me. Let me tell you what I want you to do tonight. Before you go to bed tonight, if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want you to lay on your bed. And before you close your eyes, just say, thank you, Jesus. Lord, I want to thank you for my salvation. I want to thank you for my family. I want to thank you for all the good things you've done for me. I want to thank you for being there for me when I didn't know you was there for me. Lord, I want to thank you for doing what I didn't even know need doing. Lord, I just want to thank you for being you. Just thank him and praise him because he's worthy of it. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're at in your life. I don't care what circumstance or situation you're going through. He's worthy of praise. 
Folks, I'm telling you, if he never does one more thing for you or for me, he's done enough at the cross for us to praise him for all eternity. He's loved us. He's loosed us. He's lifted us. Praise God, I cannot wait to see him. Amen.